He has spoken on the topics faith, family and freedom in Cuba, Belgium, Brazil, Congo, UK and all over the USA to crowds from 14 to 40,000. Please help me welcome J. Lauren Norris. I walked in the room <clears throat> and as I opened the door, I saw one of my sons sitting in the floor in his tidy whities laughing his fool head off. Laughing so hard he's about to wet himself. I see the other one up on the top bunk of the bed. Nothing on but a diaper and a football helmet. And as he leaped from the top of the bed, I yelled at him, you're going to hit your head on the ceiling fan. His answer might surprise you. But I want to talk today about leaders who cannot distinguish expressed motives from ulterior motives or true intent. Today on Leading Leaders. For our extensive video library of leadership lessons promoting faith, family, and freedom. I'm Jay Lauren Norris with Leading Leaders Podcast. And if you've ever raised young boys, then you know that with this phrase I use called boying, it's actually a, it's a noun. It's something they do. They do it constantly. And boying could be anything dangerous, risky, crazy, insane. And they start at a very young age and they really don't think about harm or what they're actually going to leave as the evidence uh, that might leave a scar. That's going to leave a mark that might burn down the whole backyard. That was me at about eight years old. The ideas that run through their minds are adventurous and risky. And sometimes the intent is clear. I thought it would be funny. I just had to try it. Somebody said it would work and I didn't believe them. And the intent is really clear that what they're trying to do and what they're going to do are very similar even if it's a really bad idea. But sometimes what they're intending to do and what they're actually going to accomplish are two totally different things and they don't realize it, or do they? See, when my son was jumping off of that bed and trying to fly across the room wearing nothing but a diaper and a football helmet, I said to him, you're going to hit your head on the ceiling fan. And in my mind's eye, what I see is the ceiling fan all coming out of joint out of the ceiling and, and the lights and the crystals falling down from the lights and then all of the globes being shattered all over the floor, all over his little brother sitting in the, his older brother sitting in the floor. And I'm picturing this cataclysmic disaster of a bedroom from hurling 50 pounds of boy at a light fixture that has a spinning blade on it. Maybe even injury to the boy as he hits the ceiling fan and it perhaps flings him into the wall on the other side of the room. None of that is going through his head. None of it. He has no idea what kind of disaster could happen. He just knows I put a helmet on to protect my head. And as he leaped from the bed toward the ceiling fan, I said, boy, you're going to hit your head on the ceiling fan. And as he rolls across the pile of pillows on the floor, he said, that's what I'm trying to do. That's what I'm trying to do. Now, I do believe there are people in leadership who are, I don't want to say reckless. I want to say, I don't clueless perhaps, or unaware of the unintended consequences, the results of what they're doing. The decisions they're making right now seem harmless. They seem maybe even beneficial to the entire team. They seem like, hey, that's a good idea. Why haven't we thought of that before? And somewhere in the back of your mind, you've got to ask, 
maybe somebody did think of that before and they went through all of the progressions of what could happen as a result of and they came to the conclusion that's not a really good idea now see if if you've been through that process in your head and you've thought through well, what if we did this and then we did that and we bought this new kind of a product and we sold them to this kind of audience or what if we changed our marketing plan like this there are a lot of people right now second guessing the multi-billion dollar decision of buying and then revamping what we know as Twitter. Was it a good business decision? Was it a good business investment? Can you actually turn a profit on that kind of industry? Or is the day of the profit margin for that sort of business gone? And if it is, then how are you going to make any money at it? Or will you ever see an ROI? Or did you buy it for another reason? What was the true motive behind it? And while I hate I hate the idea of questioning other people's motives because it just seems, I don't know, unfair. It seems like an attack on their persona, on their own ideologies, on their own worldviews. It also, I guess, to be honest, is, well, it's an accusation. When you question other people's motives, you're kind of accusing them of having an untrue intent or an ulterior motive. They're doing something for an expressed motive. They're telling you why they're doing it. They're telling you what's in their mind, whether it's a revenue motive or it's a transformation motive or it's a, well, I just thought I had a better idea motive or it's, well, it's mine and I can do what I want to with it kind of a motive. Any one of those are justifiable, I guess. The one that, that bugs me, though, is when no one questions the motive and it seems to many people that the motive is really clear, just not clearly expressed. With what they're up to, long-term, infinite game, is not what they're telling you they're up to in the strategy or the tactics they're employing right now. In fact, what they're doing right now has this other flowery description of why they're doing it. I, I think of you know the many battle strategies that have been utilized throughout the history of time, from, from drone warfare to the inflatable tanks on the beaches uh, just before Normandy that that allowed the military to pull off a, a strategy, a, an exercise that everybody thought one thing was happening, but they were really setting you up at this one idea so they could kind of do something else. It's like in sports when you've got a, a play that's really a fake out. It's it's a, a fake pass or a fake punt or a fake run or you know a, a fake goal shot which if you're in hockey and it's really a pass or it's the alley oop you know it looks like a three-point shot but it's really a pass to the bucket for for basketball there are thousands of ways that the fake out that i'm gonna do what looks to you like something you've seen a thousand times before but actually my intent is well it's something different and see in that moment the familiarity of what's been done before well, it becomes part of the ruse. If you've seen me do this one thing a thousand times before, when I do it the thousand and first time, you kind of expect the same outcome. You, you really think that I'm just doing what I've always done. I'm following the same path I've always followed. I'm making the same decisions I've always made. It's nothing new under the sun. It's just the same old thing. But sometimes that familiarity, that that comfort zone, that willingness to accept what has been as what always will be, well, it's a ruse. And because we get caught in that comfort zone, it's really kind of a rut, you know, a grave with the ends knocked out. And in that rut, we follow the patterns that we're most accustomed to. 
not realizing sometimes those patterns we're most accustomed to are leading us in a bad direction. They're like the little slots on that slot car race or the little metal thing down the middle of the road where you drive that, that antique car at Six Flags and you can't really go anywhere, but you think you're going somewhere. Yeah, it's like that. Habits, routines, standard course of action, even standard operating procedures, sometimes they can be used as a strategy against you if you're not aware that this rote habit process has backdoor traps or ski slope exits. I, my sons love to play this uh, game called Hydra. And Hydra is a, it's a boat racing game where you race through the, the river and you know different scenes, different landscapes and stuff like that. But there are places where there's a barricade up and behind the barricade is a ramp. And if you crash through the barricade, you actually take a shortcut that avoids like seven turns and puts you out in front of all the people who are in front of you right now. It's it's really kind of deceptive because it looks like you're not supposed to go that way, but it's actually a cheat in the game that gives you a huge advantage over somebody who's willing to follow the rules and not crash through barricades that say, don't go this way. Let that settle in when you think about the business strategies of the people that you've encountered. You know that you've encountered them right in your own workplace, the kind of people who know that there are rules to be followed. And if you follow those rules, there's a right way to play this game. And if you're playing this game right, then everybody has the same advantage. But then there's also those people who figured out what the shortcuts are. They figured out how to cut the corners, ask the right person for the right assistance or the right help to, to buy the right next game piece. You know, it's like the when you're playing the uh, fantasy football league or something like that. If you, if you get just the right player, your team could lose all year long, but the stats on that player are off the charts, and so you can make a lot of money that way. You're not really playing the game the way everybody else would. You're just kind of playing the cheats. And there are a lot of people who've learned to play the cheats in life. There are a lot of people in leadership who are rules-oriented, systems-oriented, process-oriented people, and they really believe in their heart of hearts that everybody else is rules and systems and process-oriented. They're going to follow the procedures because that's the right way to do it. And they don't realize that others have figured out the cheats. Others maybe even have created the cheats. That's, that's one way that ill intent, not true intent, motives or ulterior motives can come into play in the relationship of the workplace and the responsibility of the leader is to be able to see when that true intent isn't being divulged, when ill intent or ulterior motives are in play. Let me give you another example of that though because this is on a grander scale with a larger impact but it's when people use the expectations of society at whole. All of society expects that people are going to generally play by the rules. Because of that, they feel like most people are going to, I mean, unless they're true criminals or, or they're just vehemently corrupt, most people are going to kind of tell you what their plan is, what their strategy is, why they're doing something the way that they're doing it. And whatever they tell you, you should believe them. Now, the, the irony is, especially in the political game in the last decade or so, we see that there are people who make some unbelievably outrageous claims that we're going to do this. And the rest of the world looks at them and goes, they wouldn't really do that. I mean, that's that's crazy dangerous. That's that's dumb. That's that's short-term and long-term harmful. Why would you do that? 
And so they have this suspended disbelief to say, well, I, I hear you saying that you're going to do that, but you wouldn't really do that, would you? And then they do that. And everybody says, I can't believe they did that. But they told you they were going to do that before they started. They told you how bad it was going to get. Again, I'm reminded of Jafar and the genie when the genie said, you know, you can't kill a genie. He said, I know I can't kill a genie, but you'd be surprised what you can live through. Meaning the level of torture and agony and pain that I'm going to put you through until you make the decision I want you to make. I know I can't kill you. I won't bother to threaten you with death, but I will make your life so miserable that you will do what I want you to do because of the misery. Now, see, if, if somebody just came up to you and made that bold, tacit claim, I am going to torture you until you surrender, you might immediately rebel. You might push back and go, no, you're not. I will resist you with everything that I have. But something in our humanity allows us to hear them say, I'm going to torture you beyond belief and not believe they're telling you the truth when they say it. We aren't willing to believe that someone would be that unscrupulous, that someone would have that level of ill intent that would be that destructive and that harmful and be gleeful about doing it. And so when they tell us, I'm going to torture you beyond your imagination, our imagination goes, yeah, right, whatever. And so our reaction is nothing. We don't react at all. We don't prepare ourselves. We don't embrace ourselves for the blow of this would-be torture. We just carry on with our daily lives and believe, well, it's not really going to be as bad as they say. Oh, no, it's going to be bad. I mean, just think back over the last few decades, we've been told we will get rid of your weapons. Straight up, politicians said it as part of their election campaigns. We are coming after your weapons. They've said we will end fossil fuel. Straight up said it. We, there will be no more drilling. There will be no more fossil fuels. This has been going all the way back to 2008. They've been making these promises. And now that we're finding people having their weapons confiscated from their own doorstep and they're giving them over willingly, the ability to defend themselves should we find ourselves back in the summer of 2020 or the ability to defend themselves should we find ourselves at the head of a government that's kind of lost its marbles. Um, they've willingly given up their ability to defend themselves because, well, they didn't really think it was going to be like that. They've been telling you this for almost a decade. We're coming after your guns. We're coming after your petrol. We're coming after your ability to be self-sustained. We're coming after your farming goods. How long have we had the just the farming uh, subsidies that are forcing farmers to grow one particular crop and not another one? Or subsidizing behavior financially are taking away fertilizer raising the the prices on feed raising the prices on fuel choking off the supply chain meanwhile we've got farmers who say we have product to sell but the grocery stores won't buy it at the price that we need to sell it at to be profitable yet they're raising the price on the consumer all of this is happening all around the world it's not just in your neighborhood, but it absolutely is in your neighborhood. And they've been telling you this is coming for over a decade now. For over a decade. They've been telling you to prepare yourself for over a decade. Well, now there's some other little nuances that <clears throat> recently I heard that the number of kids who are disrupting classes with cell phones has become a problem. 
and these kids who are disrupting class with their cell phones, uh, the teachers have a remedy. They're going to gather up all the cell phones and, and put them in a basket, uh, put them in a drawer, keep them locked in a box until the end of the school day is over so that these middle school, high school students, or I guess in some cases even elementary students, can't play video games, send text messages, et cetera, et cetera, in the classroom because, you know, it's hindering their education. That's the expressed motive. And it's hard to argue with that motive. We all know someone, I have grandchildren who are more fascinated with the digital screen in front of their face than the life going on around them. But we all know someone who has that challenge with kids in school staring at their phones all day. I mentored in a high school for 10 years and in that 10 years there were many times that I had to get their attention with a conversation that provoked their emotional response because otherwise they're gonna ignore that I'm there and stare at their cell phone the whole time. We had some very lively discussions and conversations, by the way, as a result of that strategy. It makes good sense, though, that if your motive is to make sure they're focused more on education, that you can actually get them to focus on education. Take Take the phones out of the classroom. Let them focus on their education. Let me ask you a question, though. In the last two years, one of the things that we know for a fact that happened is that there was a whole lot of stuff revealed about what's going on in the classroom that parents were oblivious to. Started in West Virginia with some of the stuff being taught in the classroom, but nobody knew about it until the pandemic. And in the pandemic, the teacher sent their kids home with their laptops and said, log in and Zoom, we'll do class from there. And parents casually walking through the kitchen because they're home from work as well, they hear something on the laptop and they're like, wait, what? Did it? Did you really, did they really just say that? Is that is that really what you're learning in school? And the parents began to question, what is it they're teaching in school? Well, since that little moment of revelation, there have been hundreds of thousands of videos released of the kinds of stuff going on from pre-K all the way through high school graduates and even in some colleges. There's a video that's out right now that's got over 50,000 views on it, it's still circulating. The school has threatened legal action against the person who shot the video. They're threatening the person who shot the video, not because it was illegal to shoot the video, but because of what the teacher is saying in front of a college class. The stuff they're saying is dangerous and harmful. It's also a lie. It's their opinion, but there's no fact to back it up. If we take phones out of the classroom, there'll be no more videos like that. If we don't allow what happens in the classroom to be told at home, by the way, there is a particular school district, I can't name it off the top of my head, but a particular school district right now who has told the children, if you experience bullying at at school, do not go home and tell your parents, that's a danger to the school. If you experience sexual harassment at school, do not go home and tell your parents that presents a danger to the school. Parents could come up here with like dangerous weapons and and harm people because they're trying to protect their babies. So just don't tell them about it. We'll solve that problem here. Whatever you hear in your classroom is between you and your teacher. Whatever secrets you have for your teacher, your parents don't have to know about that either. Now, all of those things are simultaneously going on while they're saying, let's get cell phones out of the classroom because it's hurting the child's education. And I have to wonder, what are you telling my children or my grandchildren in the schoolroom, in the college classroom, that I'm not supposed to be privy to? What is it you're trying to hide from me? Uh, Leaders need to be able to distinguish an expressed motive 
from a true intent or an ulterior motive. Are we trying to take cell phones out of the classroom because it's harming the child's education? Possibly. Or is that just a really good ruse because it's in the habit of everything that well, everything else that we're into that, you know, security and privacy measures are really an issue. And so, you know, we need to take the cell phones away so that we can get back to focusing on education, i.e. telling your children whatever we want to. And there's nothing you can do about it. You can't even know. By the way, have you noticed that when schools are in testing mode, the doors are locked and there are no guests allowed? That's been true for a while. They say it's about distractions. It's also funny that if a kid tries to bring one of those tests home or a parent teacher associate tries to get one of those te- those tests out of the school, um, it's a crime. It's a crime for you to know what your children are being tested on in school. Let that one sink in for a minute. That'll mess with your head. Let's talk about motives and true intentions and ulterior motives. As leaders, we've got to be astute enough to realize that not every motive that's presented is true. Sometimes it's a flea flicker pass. Sometimes it's a fake punt. Sometimes it's a game winning attempt to cheat the rules, to cheat the system, to create an opportunity through obfuscation. I want you to be astute as leaders, to be aware and to be vigil. Pay attention to what's going on around you. You may hear the motive, and it may not be the motive at all. Subscribe now for our extensive video library of leadership lessons promoting faith, family, and freedom.